Hello, my lovelies. I am Christian relationship coach, Carla Webb. I am relentless in empowering women to create healthy relationships with themselves, others, and God by coaching them on how to set healthy boundaries so that they can take back power and control of their lives and live the life they were meant to live. I believe we were created by God to be in relationships where we feel truly loved, treated with honor and respect and cherished. In each episode of If You Only Knew, we will have real, honest conversations. Conversations that will possibly challenge you and hopefully set you free. So let's get started. Well, I am so excited to have my very first guest on If You Only Knew, and this is a a dear friend of mine named Lisa, and we met several years ago because she reached out to me whenever I started sharing my story about overcoming um, an abusive relationship, an abusive marriage, and being a woman of faith. She reached out to me and said, hey... I, we need to talk. I want to get to know you. And she invited me to come um, share and speak at a women's group that she had started. And so now today I get to turn the tables on Lisa and I'm going to have her share her story of overcoming uh, a toxic relationship and being a woman of faith who walked that out and what that looked like for her. And, um, you know, this is a place to have those tough conversations that you're just not hearing, certainly not in the pulpit at a church, not probably not having in your women's group or Bible study, but we're going to have it here. And we're here to serve. We're here to educate and just, uh, we're just going to see where this conversation goes. So Lisa, I welcome you to, if you only knew, and thank you so much for being here. Well, Carla, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours and uh, I've actually gone to one of your recovery programs. Uh, I believe it was a relationship recovery. And I, w- I just went because I love you and I cried the whole time and it was part of my reconstruction process. So um, you just, you're doing a great work in the world and it's just an honor to work with you in any way. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm just going to open it up to you. And I would just like for you just share your story, uh, wherever the beginning of that is for you. Um, and, you know, when we deal, we deal with, with sensitive topics, um, you know, we, a lot of, we talked about this prior to recording, we struggle with what is my story to tell and what is not what parts of it are not my story to tell? I mean, we ha- there are other people involved. We have children, whether they're you know small and in the home or whether they're adults, they're still children. There are children. And, and so um, I just invite you to share as much of your story as you're comfortable with and, and let us know what did that look like for you? Yeah, well, it's a uh, goodness. There's kind of the long version and the summary, but just to kind of give you a highlight, you know, my, my story really started with my upbringing and um, I was raised in Arkansas where I'm living right now in a Southern Christian home, very kind of traditional 
my dad was Baptist. My mom converted to Catholicism later in life, but I grew up Baptist and um, just always remember that, um, you know, there's this, these great sins that you have to avoid drinking, uh, having sex outside of marriage and divorce were three of the ones that in my mind were just forever etched. My parents were married forever, uh, very devoted to each other. But um, my dad had, um, he was a physician. So very, very bright man, but not affectionate. And just thinking back, you know, I remember being a young girl and a little bit intimidated by him. Uh, my mom always covered the fact that he wasn't home very much. Uh, she was very capable and very in control, but also a loving and amazing woman. She's, she was my role model, but she gave me two pieces of, of sex advice when I met my husband and I met him early at a Christian college. I was 18 when I met him and 21 when I got married. So my premarital advice was never waken a sleeping man and okay. never, never refuse your husband. Oh, uh, yeah. And because good, I, that's good Baptist advice. <laughs> and I thought, okay, you know, I can, I can do that. But probably a more uh, dominant theme for me was just the father daughter relationship. My dad was always distant. Uh, he was not emotional at all. And really until my mom died and she died uh, at 54. So I had a few years just to know my dad in a whole new way. But while she was alive, it was a distant relationship with him. And uh, it, it, there were even some painful moments, you know, he wasn't one to really ever hug me or, um, and, and so um, I went off to college and really, I just was not prepared for the dating world. Um, in high school, I was very, very involved with extracurriculars, you know, dance team and student council and just a very vibrant, wonderful hometown where, you know, I wasn't having sex with guys. I mean, it just wasn't, wasn't the way of life for us. Very, very academically focused on achievement. And so when I went off to college, you know, I met my husband very, very soon. And um, so I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I've got somebody who is, he was, he was about four years older than I was, very dominant, very bright, very charming, and um, from, from a different state. So, I mean, I didn't know him in high school, but uh, he very soon said, you know, you're the kind of person that I want, want to marry. And that just like scared me. I, I just was like, oh my gosh, you know, that sounds like so permanent because you know, we don't divorce. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, he, I remember one time he's saying, look, I'll marry you when I'm ready. And we had some conflicts. Um, I, I was a cheerleader and he did not want me to be a cheerleader because they did stunts and they had a, a, a partner. And so there was this big, huge thing where he was deciding whether I was going to be worthy of his love because I was a cheerleader with a yell partner. And there are things I look back and I'm just like elements of very extreme control mm -hmm. that I just, I just caved. I was programmed to make somebody scary and unhappy, happy. That mm -hmm. was just what I thought my job was in this world as, and, and nobody told me otherwise. And so the first dominant guy that I was attracted to um, was very narcissistic. Yeah. And that's what set up our relationship and a uh, brilliant man. He's, uh, I'm sure he's a genius. Um, there's a downside of that. And um, he, he went on to become a lawyer, very successful lawyer and transitioned. Uh, and when he transitioned from law and it was about 13 years into our marriage, maybe 15 years, we had two boys and um, 
there's, there started to be some things that he wanted me to do that I was just not comfortable with just morally. Like I felt really strange and, you know, like taking naked pictures and, and things that just led progressively to slippery slope more and more and more that he wanted me to do. And of course my programming to never refuse to please this person. Um, I, my whole energy in life was spent with my boys. I just thought if I can just make him happy all is well. And Carla, that just, uh, that set up a very toxic cycle that was damaging. And I really did not know how to get out of it. And I felt more and more isolated. Um, I started writing a book about it because I thought, you know, I'm a writer and I can't speak of this. Um, there's nobody I trust enough that I have this really shameful secrets. And so literally it was about 15 years of, of that type of relationship until a couple of things happened. My youngest son had some very severe health issues that there was just seemed no solution for it. And um, we, uh, we just uh, basically broke up as a family and uh, in a very painful way. Um, I called a friend of mine who I knew would not judge me. And I just said, you know, I've, I've written a book. It's really ugly and nobody knows it. And I just, I don't know what to do, but I think my son's health issues are somehow related to this lifestyle. Mm. And she, um, God bless her, said, you know what? I'm scheduled to go to my counselor tomorrow. I'm taking you, I'm paying for it. And I'm going to tell her your story and we're going to figure out what's going on. And in that moment, when I just, I couldn't even speak. I was so overcome with just shame and grief. And um, I, she said, do you want a divorce? And I was just like, you know, I, I didn't really know what to say because I mean, that word is like something that I feared so desperately. And, and she said, you know, this therapist, she said, you are completely codependent. Do you know what that means? And I'm like, I've heard of it before, but I didn't really know what it meant. And she goes, you know, the fact that you are engaging in behavior that you know is morally wrong for someone else shows that you're totally codependent. And so she recommended everything in the literature on codependency and also said, you know, you really need to ask him to leave. You need to get your head on straight and decide what you believe and what others believe. And um, and then, you know, let's continue to talk. And here's my cell phone number if you need me. And it was just, uh, I, I just, it was my face down moment. It was when I was most broken because I just knew that I had, I'd come so far from my real self and um, I felt trapped. Uh, I get the battered wife thing because, you know, I wanted to preserve the appearance of a beautiful home for my boys. Um, all their things were there, even though they were a little bit older, one was still living there. And I um, didn't want to walk away from that. But my therapist said, you know, if he's not willing to move out, you need to be within your own four square walls. You need to just get away and, and have some space. And so I think my biggest act of courage was making that phone call to the movers and making a plan to move out. And, um, and that's, I didn't have to make the divorce uh, decision because I was just going to separate myself because, you know, I learned how to, how do you detach? How do you detach from somebody who, you know, is potentially controlling that might not understand, might not have your perspective. And, and I, I was so concerned that he would do himself harm. And um, she said, you know, you just, you, you cannot control anymore. You just have to just release that, you know, basically detach and um, surrender 
to your higher power to God. And I, you know, that was, that was my hardest thing. That was in 2014. Mm-hmm. So I, I moved, I mean, I, honestly, it was crazy because um, I moved into an apartment. I tried to get like a three month lease. And um, that was kind of the start of my own independence. And, uh, you know, I was in an apartment with college students. It was very humbling. Uh, just because, you know, I just, you know, there are a lot of international people, there were students and it wasn't a real, it didn't, I didn't feel real safe there, but in some ways in that little space, I, I really started to, to be able to hear God's voice. I had to understand my own emotions. Like I, 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 I was so, um, I was so codependent that I could hear everyone else's voice, but my own. Mm-hmm. And I was so wrapped up in trying to please other people that I did not know how broken that I was inside. And yeah. so even looking back to living in that temporary kind of situation, I just, you know, I, I could not go back. And he was absolutely furious that I'd moved out. Um, just, um, but, but the bottom line is he never, ever really came back. He never really asked me to come back. Um, one of the things you learn about is just narcissistic rage I think that there was a lot of just um, narcissistic rage that uh, embarrassed him. Obviously, it's 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 humbling to all of us when we fail in such an important thing. But um, you know, I I just continued to go to therapy and um, I started reading everything I could put my hands on about uh, you know codependency. Another term that was really new to me is called CEN. I don't know, Carla, if you've heard of it. No, tell me about that. Childhood emotional neglect. Mm. Uh, Dr. Johnice Webb is, uh, she's, she's awesome. She's written a book on it, but it's really what I suffered from. And I didn't even know it. It's really not about any kind of abuse as a, as a child, it's growing up in a home where your parents don't really recognize your emotions, deep seated emotions. And there's just a, a list of, uh, attributes of people who are CEN and, um, and I was every single one of them. So I really started learning a lot more about that area and I got everything I could read about Jenny Webb, which was so helpful because I didn't know the difference between a feeling, emotion, my thoughts. And, and I just was, I, I was so programmed to the external world that I could not even understand or hear internally. Mm. And, and so you know, that's kind of really where I was. That's where I kind of restarted. And one of the most beautiful things about that was just getting to know myself again, getting to know who I was in God. I knew that I had, um, I knew that I had a, a mission and I knew that God had planted something in my DNA that I was very shameful about how I had been living for someone else. It wasn't for me. Um, so I never really thought about divorce, Carla. It was really just trying to separate myself. But, um, you know, sadly, we really couldn't talk about the important things. And, um, you know, the father of my boys, you know, they, there's some great uh, interviews out there about crucial conversation and whether you're in business or in life and in relationships, crucial conversation. If you cannot talk about what's most important in your relationship, you have nothing. Mm-hmm. And so where we could talk about the weather and we could talk about the pets and we could maybe talk about the, our boys. We couldn't talk about that area of what I was considering abuse um, and him considering something that we had a p- totally different 
perspective on what was moral and what was ethical. And, um, and that's really what I had to rely on people who were smarter than myself because I just didn't know it was abuse. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and it, it involved a lot. It, it involved um, a pastor that, um, you know, was, uh, we were a member of their, of his church. And, um, and I, I literally have endured some things that were felt like rape to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I consented, um, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a, a long and twisted story. And that's kind of why I wrote my book. There was a lot of healing in that, but there was just, there was never, there was never a, a resolution. And one of the things that was frustrating to me is just that I had no one to really talk to in my uh, spiritual life mm-hmm. that, um, Nobody at church. I mean, I had switched churches when in 2014 and, and went to a, a great church. I literally sat there and I felt a little bit silent. I also felt invisible. And, and you know, people really didn't know who I was, which is great. I, I wanted anonymity. But when I really felt like I was ready to talk about it and decide what how to navigate this, nobody knew what to do with me. Mm-hmm. And 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 so today my faith walk is so different. I sat in church my whole life taking notes on sermons and it, it didn't connect with saving my family because I, I was so plugged into being a a servant to my husband who had serious addiction problems and really, really needed help, but was never really, for whatever reason, never, never did anything to, to, to get help. And so I, I, there was a point where I was really, I felt really let down by the church. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I just, you know, I, I finally went to, I took all my courage and probably four years into being a member of this church, I, I scheduled an appointment to talk to the pastor who's male. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, it was so awkward, Carla. I mean, mm-hmm. it just, I would have much rather talked to a woman, but I didn't know of anyone who had spiritual authority to tell me that I could divorce my husband. And, you know, and, and he was really kind. And he said, you know, obviously if he's uh, in an adulterous relationship at all, you know, the Bible says you can divorce. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of got the green light in a way, but it's like, if you have a horrible traffic accident and you're not at fault, but you're still maimed, Yeah. What a great analogy. I had never, I've never say that again, say that again. Yeah. So if you have a very serious traffic accident, say somebody runs a a stop sign and and crushes you. Yeah. Even if it's not your fault, you're still damaged from it. And, and so I just, I think that was the part of the, you know, the whole thing about divorcing, even though ultimately why I could not go back to that house is because he did not know my perspective he and i were completely worlds apart and our belief structure and he could not tell my story mm. he just wanted to say we just forget the past and let's just move on and and i was so broken and i had so many points that i had whoever was my intimate partner was going to be was going to understand my wounds and he just didn't want to hear about it and i was participating in it it's something we needed to heal together it's just that was not the decision you can't make that decision for someone else. No, absolutely. So sad. It's kind of a sad story, but it, it has a good ending because I um, honestly feel that yes, God hates divorce, but I think he, um, 
I don't think he views it the way we do. Mm -hmm. um, life is damaging enough, whether you're in a divorce situation or not. I mean, the, the great thing about my divorce is that I learned that I was actually really expecting my husband to do a lot of things for me that I really thought I was, it was his job. I grew up in the South. I wanted to be protected. Um, I wanted him to, to, you know, earn the wages. I wanted to be a stay at home mom. I, you know, had all these things that were I, my expectations and, and he had expectations of what he wanted me to do and be, and it, they just didn't line up. Yeah. <laughs> we should have talked about that a long time ago. So <laughs> I do not hold any animosity toward him. I have great love for him and empathy and sympathy. And I feel bad for him. I, I wish he had made a different decision. Cause I said, look, you know, if, if we can just go public about the, you know, the mistakes we've made, how many people could we help? Mm -hmm. But he couldn't do that. You know, he couldn't be open about it. And, and so I just had to kind of go my way. And I thought, you know, I can't go back to a marriage um, where my intimate partner could not represent me and, and my point of view. I, I'm different now. And I have an obligation to really share the struggle um, and the victory with other women who have been programmed like I have. And uh, Carly, you, you know, you get it. Um, you know, I love the fact that you're willing to talk about very difficult things. I think we need to be willing to talk about very difficult things. And I, for whatever reason, um, the church was not set up in a way that it was there for me and uh, was actually part of a lot of the damage. Yeah. So there are so many points. I've been writing down things that I want to hit on that are, I think are so important um, in your story. And, you know, the first thing that uh, I noticed is that the first step was reaching out to someone that you trusted. Yes. Yes. So you reached out to a friend that you knew or you felt pretty confident would not judge you. Right. And you would be able to tell the truth too. Right. Yeah. So that was, that's important. Um, in that, that very first step of whether it is a, a friend or a family member or a colleague or someone that you can tell and just say it out loud. How important was that to you just to say it out loud to another person? You know, it, it changed everything. Uh, it, it really did. And, and so that's kind of where Brene Brown Mm -hmm. who's one of my favorite authors, she talks about the gremlins of shame. When you mm -hmm. speak, when you speak your shame, the yeah. gremlins disappear. And it literally was the first step uh, toward healing for me. And, you know, I've now, I've gone to Alan on, I mean, I've read a million books and, and they say you're only as healthy as your secrets. Ooh, yeah. So if you're living any kind of secrets, secret life, um, it will absolutely run a hole through you. And, and, you know, for me, it was, you know, if, 15 years of living this secret, really seedy, gross, and inconsistent with who I was lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's taken years really to, to, you know, really heal the deepest layers of, of just almost soul rape is what it, it felt like for me. And, yeah. and there was just, I remember even with my therapist, I sat there and she goes, wow, you know, when, I, when she understood my story and I said, she goes, I've just never heard anybody really say this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, that's not something that you really want to say to someone. You know, yeah. like, I've never seen anybody as screwed up as you. 
yeah. but but what um, she said is just there's really no therapist here that has dealt with this kind of stuff um, in in our area, and so I probably should have gone to Nashville or some other bigger city that had specialized therapists. Mm-hmm. Well, and so then that was the other thing that was like the next thing is so you confided in someone that you felt like you could trust, and and she brought you to her therapist, you know, with her, but the next step was then getting help, getting help. And, in, in the, and it may not have been the greatest thing. Like you said, they, she ultimately said, but gosh, I've never dealt with anything like this before. And ultimately, you know, maybe going to a bigger city, but you did, you took the next best step that you could in that moment. And you used the resources that were in front of you. And you started self-educating also by starting reading books and getting your hands on any kind of information that you could to to get some knowledge on on it. So whenever you started, you know, reading and, and things like that, I know for me, I was like, my thing was like, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. <laughs> the things that I thought were wrong really are wrong. So what was that like for you as you start reading about codependency? And I, that's a word that we throw around a lot. Would you care to give, it, it is not, a, not a, a, a technical definition, but how would you describe codependency? You know, that's a great question. And I mean, I think I know that there's some real clinical terms, but I think the easiest way to understand it, it's, it's really... A, I mean, it's described as kind of um, almost like a, a personality disorder in a way, mm-hmm. which is lacking self-love. Mm-hmm. And the way I, it felt to me is the magic was outside of me. The magic was in everyone else. And therefore you become a servant to everyone. And you listen to the voice of the external world versus your own. And uh, it's it's usually because of personal trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in life that, you know, for whatever reason, you're very broken inside and you, you become a huge target to narcissistic individuals. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest downside of being, you know, being a codependent is just, first of all, understanding what it is. You know, Al-Anon is kind of um, a great organization. It's free and you can either online or you can in person learn a lot about really codependency. There's kind of a, revolves around uh, people, places, and things, you know, just being especially attached to people, places, and things. And, and, and those things have some type of control over you. But, but at the end of the day, you know, codependency means you're really not connected to your own self. And, and that's really what I noticed, you know, face down that I, I just did not even really give myself any love or respect. I was driving myself really, really hard, trying to be the perfect wife and uh, trying to be the perfect mom and trying to, you know, make a living and, and just all the things that we as women do mm-hmm. with no connection to myself at all. And, and that, that you can't keep that up for long. Yeah. So, you know, I, we have, a t- especially those of us raised in the church, <laughs> we have, as women, we have this thought a lot of times that if I could just, if I just prayed more and if I, I just read my Bible more, and if I just kept the house cleaner, 
And if I just, if I just, if I just, you know, fill in the blank, did you run into that? You know, you said you felt so outside of yourself, like you didn't even know how to be in yourself. Was that kind of the, the hamster wheel that you felt like you were on? Initially, you know, and it was, you know, cause I, I'd been going to church and, um, you know, sadly he didn't really relate to the churches that I, I picked out. So I didn't, we didn't really have that bond. I, I always just looked at couples that worship together and was so like, I thought, you know, man, I'm so envious of, of somebody who can just really relate. And Carla, I mean, you could probably say that that's not always even a healthy appearance, you know, just to go to church together. Right. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, tried to um, do everything I could with, within my power, but because of this kind of weird thing that he expected and wanted from me, um, yeah, he's a man, obviously. I felt like I needed a man's perspective on that, mm. but there was just nobody that, that I could talk to. And it was just, you know, that's kind of where, you know, I, I would try to read more in the Bible. I, you know, but the Bible was really, didn't have really the answers ab about that. Yeah. And, you know, he was saying, well, you know, our current modern day, um, you know, just monogamy is really about culture, not about really religion or faith. And um, just big things that I'm like, how could I have married somebody like this? <laughs> like, but, you know, I felt like, again, it was my job to make him happy. And so those are the kind of things that you, I just didn't really find answers within, uh, within the church. Now I have since, you know, my soul, uh, thing, you know, I got is so involved in just my, my daily life, but it looks very different than it did before. Mm -hmm. Well, that was what I felt like I ran into is because as I, you know, I talk about my aha moment where I'm walking through the living room and Dr. Phil was on the TV and it said, you might be in an abusive relationship if, and it had a checklist. And I, I stood there frozen thinking, like, I kept going like, that's me, that's me, that's me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so whenever I had that aha moment and, and was like, okay, I'm not crazy. The things that I think that he's doing are wrong, really are wrong. And then as I started learning more, oh my gosh, this is actually abuse. This is abusive and being, you know, putting that label on it. Well, the, in the church there, or at least in, there were no resources for, like you said, for, there were no resources for me. They didn't know what to do with me. Like, I, I love that. That's exactly sums it up. They didn't know what to do with me because we don't talk about this, you know, um, and you know, you're going, and I, I, I don't know how many times I've actually been told, okay, well, this is just going to open up a whole can of worms. You know, if we talk about this, this is going to open up a can of worms. And that's actually in my intro, like, here we go. We're going to open up this can of worms. And I found it very saddening that I had to go to the secular world to get the help that I needed. So I went to a secular counselor and and they were able to give me the you know the resources and and things that i needed and to call it what it was and not try to over spiritualize what was happening to me you know it, 
yes, the Bible is a wonderful source and, and I, and it is, you know, the word of God. However, whenever you are only willing to go to it for matters that aren't necessarily directly addressed in the Bible and acknowledge that abuse does happen there and that there are, I call it the church checklist, you know, you go and, and they go, well, are they hitting you? you know, no. Okay. Well, they, that that's addressed in the Bible, you know, physical abuse is addressed in the Bible. Well, are they cheating on you? And in my case, it was no. Well, you know, adultery that's addressed in the Bible. Then other than that, well, God hates divorce. So that was, you know, that was it. That was the end of it. He's not hitting you. He's not cheating on you. God hates divorce. You're just going to have to figure, you know, stay in there and hope, hope for the best. Hopefully it gets better. And so it was very frustrating to have to go to the secular world to get the validation and the resources and tools that I needed to, to heal from what I experienced. Absolutely. Uh, totally a hundred percent agree. And, yeah. and even, you know, I've found, um, uh, that there are other resources, other Christian writers, uh, Richard Rohr is one of them that understood brokenness in a way that none of the, uh, you know, really none of the people that I had really uh, followed, gone to sermons with um, understood brokenness. And because I was so broken, I mean, I was so broken that when I showed up in church, um, I, I just would cry. I just couldn't. That's one of the reasons I wanted to go to a place that nobody knew who I was, because I was just like, I would just have tears flowing. Yeah. Um, but uh, Richard Rohr is an amazing, he's a Franciscan monk. Mm. Uh, and I, I read his um, his devotional every single day. He has a, a just a beautiful ministry of, of, for broken people. And so that's kind of what I would recommend to anybody is just, um, you know, you can find God in so many places and ways. And if you just understood, understand that God does not have to just work in a church that, you know, Carly, you were God to me when you invited me to your relationship workshop. And, you know, I just felt like that's what flourish was for me is that God just sent angels to minister to me. And it wasn't what didn't come in the church. It just, uh, I sat there by myself for an entire year before really anyone talked to me. Yeah. And um, it's just, you know, that's just, that was just my story. Yeah. Well, I relate to so much of that story of your story because um, I did the same thing. I, I went to uh, I went to a church. I went to several different churches where nobody knew me, and and I would just sit there and I would just cry, and um, yeah, you know, just and I don't know about you, but for me that was a real. I I knew that was a turning point for me, and that was going to be a really easy opportunity for me to turn away from the church and never go back. So it was really important for me personally that I continued to show up Sunday after Sunday and even and just and cry it out. But I knew that if that was going to be if I allowed my, this was my own for me personally, but I knew I if I allowed myself that if I just said, hey, this is too hard right now. I'm embarrassed to sit there and cry. I'm just not going to go to church 
while I walk out this healing process. And then whenever it doesn't hurt so bad and I'm not crying anymore, then I will go back to church. I don't know if that day would have ever come. Mm -hmm. I think I just would have stayed away. And for me, I saw that as allowing the enemy to get a foothold on me because I knew that I had a, a ministry. I knew that, um, you know, God had work for me to do within the church. And I knew that was going to, I saw it as an opportunity to allow the enemy a foothold to get me away from church and to probably not ever go back. Gotcha. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So you reached out to someone, you went to counseling, you developed a plan. That is key. Because um, just in anything in life, nothing ha just nothing happens <laughs> without a plan and plan of action. So you put in a plan of action of making this happen. You educated yourself, and uh, and you know a lot of a lot of bricks in the road. But you are on the other side of that, and you have found yourself in. A loving healthy relationship now and so I would love to I would love to hear about that like where are you now and uh, what is that like for you well you know part of what I had to do was to make a list of you know what what is what is the most important thing for me and and you know, looking because I I honestly married the first guy who really asked me to marry him and I you know I didn't know how to evaluate that I mean I, I just wasn't really of the right maturity, I think, to really make that decision, that life decision at, at 18 or whatever age it was. So, you know, I, you know, as I read and as I healed and as I got to know who I was, I just made this list, you know, and I, I would just kind of think about it and meditate on it. I would read books and I think, oh, you know, that's really what I, I, I've observed my sister who has had a long and healthy relationship. And I think that's what I want. I want this and that. I made, made this huge list. And my sister kept saying, you know, you're going to meet somebody in your business. And I'm like, my business is 70% women. So <laughs> I brought, you know, it's somebody's husband, you know, that would come to one of our meetings. And, and so I just was like, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. But, um, and, and I really got to a point where I was very, very content just being, being me, being by myself. Um, but I had gotten involved in some other narcissistic relationships when I was actually married, because um, that's part of the part of the insanity was just that he wanted me to be with other people. Mm. And so one of those um, people was very, very, very toxic. Uh, just the worst kind of narcissist you can imagine. Just uh, had, a, had a capacity to do, do, do bad things to people in a way that I'd never, I didn't know that existed. I mean, read about it, but I'd never really met anyone like that before. And so I was uh, actually um, wanting to bring this, this business that I'm in uh, back to my home state of Arkansas and um, have one friend from sixth grade. I, I called her and she was open. I said, I want to share my story. If you could just get a few people together. And she goes, do you remember my brother? And when she said his name, my heart skipped a beat because I knew exactly who he was. And he was my idea at 14 of the perfect man. He was this hunky high school football player. Um, and he was uh, actually um, got called to the ministry. I saw him preach his first sermon in our in our Baptist church. And I loved his family, very successful. His dad was, you know, president of the bank. His mom was a, like a beauty queen. She was former Miss Arkansas, just a beautiful family. I loved, loved their family. And so um, 
I, I um, two years ago um, in that very first meeting where I, I brought this business back to Arkansas, I stood um, eyeball to eyeball with him and he had no clue who I ever was. Never knew me. Sadly, uh, I was not on his radar. He had much bigger and better fish to fry. But when we stood um, eyeball to eyeball as adults, uh, we've not really been apart since then. And um, he just, uh, one of the things, one of the reasons I fell in love with him is we fell in love actually separately because I was helping him build in Arkansas. I was in Indiana. We were talking on the phone a lot, but he told me his story, Carla. And, and in 2001, his addictions and uh, family illnesses cost him everything. He literally um, was face down due to alcoholism and some other addictions and lost everything, lost his job, lost his license for real estate, lost his family, lost his children, literally lost everything. And this man has not a trace of resentment or hate in him. He has diligently done his um, AA and Al-Anon program and has is very um, Christic in his whole approach to people and, and to life. And um, I, I've just learned so much from him. He's introduced me to meditation, uh, to Richard Rohr, to a lot of the healing and um, techniques that really he has has used and, and helped share with other people. He just, he loves, he's a people lover. He loves people. And so we just get to love on people now. It's kind of what we do in our business. And um, he's just, uh, he's just an incredible partner, interested in everything I do. There's no subject um, that we really can't discuss. And I've just learned a whole different kind of relationship. And he, uh, one of the things that really made me know that he was, he was my, my future husband is that he asked to read my book. Mm. And I'm, I'm like, I don't share my book with people because it is ugly. And, and I just wanted whoever I was going to have a love interest with to know all the bad, all the things that I had gone, that had gone wrong in my life and where I was and all my scars and you know, he still loved me. And in fact, when he read the book, he called me, it was like really late at night and, and he was just moved and, and said, you know, you're a warrior and we're going to, we're going to get through this together. And neither one of us realized how much we would have to go through together. But this one toxic individual who um, I had had a relationship with truly tried to destroy both of us. I've had restraining orders against him and, um, you know, it's just not a world that I've ever known before. So it's just, you know, one of the roles of a husband is to protect his wife. And I think that's one of the things it's sometimes still hard for me to go to weddings because I think I was innocent. Mm -hmm. I, I trusted my, my husband with, with, I, I just didn't know. I was just innocent and probably half stupid at the same time, but just, I was just naive. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when, when that, when that role, when they don't understand that role, mm -hmm. then, I'm just grateful to be alive. I mean, what I've actually, you know, done and, and gone through could have put me in harm's way a million times and, and compromised my, my health, my family. And so I'm a miracle and people don't even know it, that just I'm still healthy and living and, and God has blessed me with this wonderful relationship with the man who has truly changed my life and lives to, to help other people. And, and that's what's so fun, Carla, is just, I feel like we're in ministry together. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, one of the things that I work with my clients on is making that list of what are and, and their boundaries. You had a list of what your boundaries are, were and what you were willing to accept, 
what you are not willing to accept. I talk about how, you know, what are you willing to accept? What are you, what are your negotiables and what are your non-negotiables? What are, what are your line, you know, what are your line in the sand? And when you have that list, it made it really easy whenever he came into your life that you have, you know, what am I looking for? What characteristics, what morals and values? Um, what are their likes and dislikes? You know, what kind of, what kind of human are they? And, you know, what, what kind of person do I want to partner with and who do I not want to partner with? And it makes it so much easier whenever someone is brought into your life that you have something to, you know, compare and contrast it to. And you're like, yep, yep, yep. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> it makes it a whole lot easier. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, for me, I just, it was the decision of, I want to make a statement to my boys. Mm. They don't really know the details of this, but my current husband can tell my story better than I can. And so if something happens to me, I mean, my biggest concern is that they would understand really what had happened, what had gone wrong. Yeah. Wow. So I've heard you, you've talked about this book that you wrote and you only share it. So it's not a a published book. Nope. Not yet. Um, Not yet. Okay. So that is my question. Do you think that at some point in time, Um, that you will come to a place where you will put it out into the world and share. I think I will, Carla. It's just, you know, my oldest son, you know, hasn't read it. My boys haven't read it. I mean, I was really kind of conflicted over whether, you know, like it's even good for them to read it about their mother and and their dad. It's just, you know, it's just ugly. Um, But I think it has to be in the right context. My oldest son said, you know, why don't you write a book that's helpful for people? Because this is just like, oh my gosh, this is just, I even had a professional, a professional author, a friend of mine look at it and he goes, you know, you just, you need to go into greater detail about the sex. And I'm like, I don't remember it. <laughs> like, yeah. And I don't want to remember it. You know, it's just, so I think, you know, for the world to think it's awesome, it would have to have more detail mm-hmm. uh, for the Christian world to read it. I think they would be heartbroken, mm-hmm. but I think that's an important thing. And so there's, there's just, there's some teaching in it, but it has to be really, it has to be, um, I guess, packaged the Mm. right way. And, and, you know, I need to do that. I mean, and in fact, part of my mission is, is a a woman's group called Flourish. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband, his is called Fireside because he has um, suffered um, sexual trauma early in his life. And he um, has a, a very vibrant group for men to discuss a lot of really important life things. And that was another thing that I just love about him. So we're, we both, knew that God use will use the damage in our lives. And, and so we probably together will we'll publish something, you know, his story, my story, and, and our story together and, and how we're working to help inside or outside the church. You know, there's people hurting everywhere, but there's a lot of people who've been damaged by the programming yeah. of submission and really giving your voice to somebody who might not be healthy enough to k- take care for you. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, well, I think that is a a perfect summation, and this is a good place to kind of wind, you know, put a bow on this conversation. I, you know, we both were um, in situations where the church just didn't know what to do with us. I think that is a, um, that is definitely a phrase that sums up 
for a lot of people that the church just doesn't know. And so that's why I did want to have this podcast for that specific reason called If You Only Knew. Um, that, and we are the type of women that when we see a gap and we try to say, okay, this was something that happened to us. There's a need there. The resources weren't there for us, but by golly, we're going to make sure that we're going to do our best to be a resource for someone else. And uh, so that we don't continue the cycle of these people that nobody knows what to do with. So I thank you so much for being willing to share your story, being vulnerable. You mentioned Brene Brown, um, you know, being vulnerable. That is one of the bravest things that you can do. We see vulnerability as a weakness, but being vulnerable is one of the bravest things that you can be. And I thank you for being vulnerable, for being brave. Um, I heard you uh, mention Richard Rohr. Is it R-O-A-R, like the word roar? Or how it's is a, that? It's spelled, that. it sounds that way. It's R-O-H-R. R-O-H-R. Richard right. Rohr is a, a resource that you said was very helpful to you and that you recommended. And so we'll put that out there. Um, for other people to be able, you said he talks to people who broken people and yes. their brokenness. Well, thank you, Lisa. I love you. I cherish you and your friendship. And I just pray a blessing over you and your marriage and your relationship and your business and your ministry, all of it. You, uh, you are just out to, to set the world on fire. In, in every in every area that you can stick a torch. <laughs> and I love that about you. I love Thank you. Thank you for having me, Carla. And as you know how I feel about you. I just, I love the service that you're doing for the world and your podcast. And I'm just very honored uh, you reached out to share my story. So let's, let's change the world together, girl. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Well, thank you very you. much. And you all. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I hope that this was a blessing to you. I hope that it has been freeing to you and to know that uh, your story is important and to share it with other people and it will have an impact and to go out and set your world on fire and blaze that trail if need be. Hello, my lovelies. If you're just getting introduced to me, Coach Carla, I invite you to follow me on all social media platforms at Coach Carla Webb. I'm most active on Facebook and Instagram, or you can just visit CoachCarlaWebb.com to find all things Coach Carla. You can download a free checklist called Is This Love? to see if your relationship is healthy and checks all the boxes. Or you can check out what coaching programs I have to offer. You can even schedule a free call with me. So hop on over to CoachCarlaWebb.com and I'll talk to you soon.